Hi, welcome to uh, Facebook Live with Dr. Nedley and some special guests, hopefully, as, they, as they're working in busy ICUs and different things, taking care of people that have uh, serious diseases like the virus COVID-19. Over the last few weeks, um, this has really heated up uh, around the nation, and we are going to be talking about it today, Dr. Nedley, right? So um, first of all, you know, let me just say, we'd like to take your questions. If you give a question, it'll come right to me here on the iPad, and we'll be wanting to take your questions as they come in. But maybe you could give us just an overview of, of what COVID-19 is, the coronavirus, how it impacts the body. Give us kind of a, a little lesson about what's happening. I know we've heard a lot on the news, but just summarize the thing so we can get started and, and stimulate some questions here. Well, yes, the COVID virus is a protein particle surrounded by a lipid membrane. Fat. And uh, yeah, I guess that lipid membrane actually from, from our own cells, uh, the, the edge of our cells or the membrane of the cell, um, when it comes out, it, it gets encircled by that membrane. And so this is, it's kind of a human uh, cellular membrane with a protein particle and uh, that gives it access to our own cells if it comes in contact with our mucosa. And so it immediately uh, takes that protein particle after it goes in and actually starts to get to an enzyme called replicase. And then it starts um, getting a lot of copies of this virus. And that's how it actually uh, multiplies and of course it's a foreign substance and so uh, as a result our immune system if it's in good shape can detect it at an earlier stage but it does a good job at el being elusive it's very mm -hmm. sneaky and so if you don't have the best immune system it may be days before your immune system figures out that there's something going wrong and uh, by then it can be so exponentially out of control that the immune system then overreacts into what's called a cytokine storm, which is not only gonna kill the virus, eventually it's gonna kill you by you know, basically um, putting all of the, the military force of the body uh, to work against this virus. So the symptoms that it causes, uh, some people can be asymptomatic, but most people will have some symptoms. And one of the most common, actually, that's not really been talked about is you can lose your sense of smell. Mm. And so... Uh, and that might even be the first symptom. It could be the first symptom. And then food doesn't taste very good. Um, and you can get a little bit of anorexia. The gastrointestinal symptoms actually can be as prominent as the respiratory symptoms. A lot of people just think about the respiratory side of things. You can get some diarrhea from this thing. Mm. And uh, so what do you do? You get the sore throat, you get maybe a cold, you get a dry cough, you get some of these other symptoms. Maybe you can't taste, maybe you can't smell. So what should you do right then? Uh, you should actually go see a doctor and get tested. Now, it's hard to see a doctor today uh, because a lot of doctors aren't allowing you into their building if you have these symptoms because they're fearful that um, you know you might cough on something and there might be you know you cough on a chair or on an arm of a chair and then someone else is going to come touch that chair and then put their mouth 
their hand up to their face and boom, they've got it. And that's how it spreads. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what you do need to do is call your doctor and find out where you can be tested. There are testing centers around. Uh, my own clinic actually um, has the testing uh, equipment and clinics, uh, you know, the other Weimar clinics have it. And so now it is most clinics that are seeing patients are stocked to be able to have it tested. But of course, their, their staff have to also be um, schooled in regards to how to get the test and get accurate results and to not infect themselves in the process of getting the test. Mm -hmm. uh, but now test results can be gotten you know, within a day or two at the most. Um, the turnaround time is getting a lot better. I know in our hospital in Auburn, it's a now six hour turnaround time from the time we order the test uh, or it can get the actual test through the nasal swab or throat swab until we get the result. Six and, hours. Yeah. Not bad. Is it backed up right now? Probably is. Uh, it's not that backed up because we're just restricting it to those that have, you know, that need to be in the hospital or in the emergency room or something like that. Okay. So let's say you can't get into the doctor, can't get a test, but you're at home and you start to get that, that sore throat or that cough or those other things, anything you can just do yourself natural remedy wise? Yeah, um, zinc would be a good first line remedy. Uh, when zinc gets into our cell, it actually um, stops replicase, which I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And that stops the virus. And uh, zinc is also toxic to the virus on contact. And so having zinc lozenges around is a good idea. And then also making sure your immune system is in good shape, mm -hmm. good antioxidant foods, antioxidant fruits and vegetables, being on a regular exercise program, getting sunlight as much as you can. A lot of people are hunkered indoors and are avoiding the sun. This is not good. Sunlight is actually going to increase our vitamin D levels, which is going to increase our immune system. And it's also going to uh, greatly help us to be able to fight this virus um, if we get a chance. Good. Uh, I'm getting a couple texts here. Maybe our technical people can work on this. They're saying they're trying to get on Facebook, but they're having a hard time connecting. So I don't know if, what that means for us, um, but I am getting a couple texts saying they're having a hard time getting on right now. So uh, you might want to work on that. So, okay, zinc. Uh, what about some contrast showers? Would that help just to begin with? Absolutely. In fact, this is something that a lot of people, um, even if they test positive, if they're not all that sick, they're not going to be put in the hospital. They're going to be told to go home and self-quarantine and say, you know, we just hope you're not one of the 20% the that need our hospitalization. But if you do get short of breath, you know, be sure and uh, be sure and come to the hospital. Uh, or if you can't breathe, but they're really not told what they can do at home. Right. And staying well hydrated as well as getting hydrotherapy treatments. This is where we get the heat to the uh, face and to the neck and to the throat and to the lung area. And even contrasting that with cold uh, after we get nice and warm after 15 or 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then cycling back and forth actually helps our natural killer cells. It helps the monocytes, the macrophages. And this can increase our odds that we are not one of that 20%. In fact, if everybody would do this, uh, Don, I think the evidence is very clear that it would be 
less than 20% that would need the hospitalization. And even if we got that down to 15% or 10%, it would save significant resources. Okay. It would save the need for the ventilators and all of those things that we don't have enough of yet. Okay, so hot and cold showers, three minutes in, 30 seconds of cold, do that a number of times, and then, or maybe a hot bath and then cold on top of that, whatever you can do that's hot and cold. Correct. Um, and then and a, minute uh, a of lot cold of water. Is, a minute of cold is even better than 30 seconds of cold, mm -hmm. uh, the evidence is. And so um, uh, we recommend doing a minute and then cycling back to the hot again. And this is just about as hot as you can stand it. Hot as you can stand it. And yeah. as cold as you can stand it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But just don't burn yourself. Be intelligent. And if you have diabetic, diabetes and neuropathy, you can't trust yourself on knowing how hot is too hot. So those would be people that uh, should either have somebody else help them with the treatment or not do it themselves. And you probably should rest after these treatments. So you don't wanna you know, go out and go about afterwards. You wanna lay down, you wanna rest. Yes, that rest after the hydrotherapy treatment can give it a chance to really work and, uh, and not just stress yourself out afterwards and go into something else. You wanna have more of a stress-free environment where immune system can really start uh, macrophaging those viruses. Yeah, and uh, probably, you know, um, if someone in your house is getting sick with this, you probably want to put them in their own room and you want to really practice hand washing well and all those different kind of things and, uh, and isolate them, maybe near a window, maybe where they can get a lot of fresh air into the room, ventilated, a lot of sunlight. Mm -hmm. um, is that good? Absolutely. Yep. And, and and explain why that is. Why do we want ventilation? Why do we want sunlight? Why do we want them in their own room? Well, uh, proper ventilation and negative ions can actually help in counteracting this virus. Uh, it helps the immune system, and it can also the negative ions themselves can actually be lethal to the viruses uh, too. That's why they don't do very well necessarily outside and in fresh air. Yeah, I guess during the Spanish flu when they started. Uh, treating people outside, the patients got better quicker. The hospital staff didn't really get infected as regularly or as often. And, and they also said the sunlight um, was, seemed to kill things too with the heat. Even hardened bacteria like tuberculosis does, uh, you know, the treatment for tuberculosis did very well here at Weimar Institute, right where we're at, by getting people outside in the sun. The vitamin D helped and the, the sunlight itself helped the patient to recover from tuberculosis before we had those antibiotics. Okay, so okay, so those are early line treatments. First of all, I mean, we didn't talk about what you should do to not even get it, but we have a series of videos on things you can do to be able to resist right to begin with. Mm -hmm. And we talk about um, nutrition, you know, all the things of Newstart. Maybe we could summarize those and uh, I'm still getting some text here and that people are not able to get in. I'm not sure if um, what's happening. Uh, does anyone know for sure? Are we in? Oh, we're on. Oh, good. So uh, we are live. Um, maybe they just have the wrong place. But um, okay, so yeah, let's just summarize some of the things that they can do to just avoid it because there might be people sitting at home kind of terrified, <laughs> not going out. They're isolating. They're now I just uh, heard today they got a uh, the CDC is recommending that everybody wear a mask. Um, the president is saying maybe you don't need to, but everybody else is saying, yeah, um, <laughs> wear a mask. So they're at home. 
what could they be doing? I mean, Gabby Salcedo is asking, can we take elderberry tea? Would that help us? Well, elderberry is something that does help against coronavirus. Uh, the evidence is pointing that direction. Uh, it actually, uh, the virus doesn't, uh, doesn't really like elderberry. Uh, doesn't stick well to it, and elderberry can have some protective uh, aspects to our mucosa. So, um, and you know, you can get this at a health food store. You can actually buy elderberries and make your own little elderberry paste uh, or or a little gel. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, this is something that there's um, certainly no harm in doing so, mm -hmm. and may have some significant benefit. And some people say you don't want to do that a long time. It's, you know, you don't take elderberry forever for your life as a Correct. prophylactic. But, uh, and they'll say that usually when they, when they give you the elderberry. Right. Um, okay, yeah. Well, we're getting some more questions in. John is asking, John Paulsgrove, thanks for calling in, John. I've heard that using a hairdryer on low heat applied to my face would kill the virus. Should I do that? Well, it actually may kill the virus outside the cell but it's not gonna kill the virus inside the cell. Uh, and it's also gonna really dry out your mucosa. You know, in order to kill the virus inside the cell, it's gonna take a lot more heat than the hairdryer, and you're gonna end up uh, having some necrotic uh, mucosa yeah. uh, as a result. And so the, the, uh, the advantage, the reason why we recommend um, the spa treatment um, is not just what it's doing to the local virus, but what it's doing to our own immune system. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's not a hairdryer that's going to help our entire immune system. This is where we need the actual entire body uh, put in a sauna mm -hmm. and then alternating with the cold or the, the affected areas of the body, at least in the hot fomentations, if not in a hot shower or a hot tub, and then alternating with the cold. I think that's going to be superior. And the hairdryer can actually be dangerous. Yeah. Uh, you can actually burn yourself mm -hmm. uh, with a hairdryer and you can actually dry out your mucosa so that you end up with nosebleeds mm -hmm. and all sorts of problems there. So we're not recommending that approach. Okay. Um, is it true, Karen uh, Sage is, is asking a question. Is it true that the stomach acid kills the virus if you eat something that has the virus on it. So if it goes down your esophagus into your stomach, does it get killed in the stomach? The acid in your stomach is there actually to help sterilize your bowel from viruses and bacteria. Now, if you get an overwhelming amount of virus in, it may not destroy all of them. Uh, and so it really depends on the viral load that we take in. But uh, yes, uh, theoretically, your acid uh, should break down that uh, lipid barrier and actually start to even break down the protein itself. Uh, and that, of course, will deactivate um, this virus particle. Well, what I've heard is it's just dangerous if it goes down your trachea, if it gets into, you know, into those things. When it gets into that respiratory area, that's where it's really dangerous. That's where it's really dangerous because that's, uh, of course, what's causing the deaths is when it's down into the respiratory tree itself. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course, the danger can start even before it gets down there if it's in the oral mucosa because it, it will actually get into those cells in your mouth itself, in your pharynx, in your throat, and start multiplying like crazy. And then it can, of course, travel down into the, the bronchial tree. Yeah, so this is why gargling with that zinc, doing all those things you're talking about, 
Um, if you start having that come on, you're really aggressively doing your hot and cold, even to your neck, maybe a foot bath as well, all those things, trying to get rid of that. We also had a guest here that was talking about using a neti pot to lavage the things out of the nasal mucosa mm -hmm. and that area to, to just try and get rid of those things so you have less virus actually there. You're kind of doing battle right where it is, right at first. So don't wait till you get short of breath. Don't wait, yeah. then start really aggressively. Exactly, exactly. Okay, uh, we got some more questions coming in here. Uh, thank you, by the way, and let your friends know uh, that we're on, we're taking your questions. Um, uh, oh, by the way, I, another thing before we go on past Karen's question, which was about stomach acid, I'm hearing also that this virus, even if you get it and get well, it can be in your fecal material, it can be in the, uh, as you're passing stool and different things. So it, it actually is still dangerous even after you're feeling better. It's not just passed through aerosol, right? Uh, which is why they're now recommending masks. It's much more likely to be passed through droplet or also through what we call the fecal oral route. And this is where, of course, um, you know, as you have a bowel movement, and you clean up after that bowel movement, if you don't thoroughly clean your hands after that time period, this virus can actually be there on the hands and then be spread to somebody else. Uh, and it, so fecal oral transmission does occur uh, with this virus. So doing your laundry, doing all that kind of stuff, it's, uh, you gotta be careful with all those things. Correct. Okay, uh, another question here. Um, is oregano oil of any use to fight off the virus? It could be of use. Oregano oil does have some antiviral properties, uh, and it has been shown in some studies to be very effective. We don't know how effective it is against this particular corona strain, uh, but uh, it's probably not going to hurt anything and certainly can be helpful. Even potentially more evidence is that olive leaf extract and mm. an active ingredient in olive leaf extract can be helpful. And that has been shown to be helpful with the flu virus, has been shown to be helpful with Coxsackie virus and, and some other viruses as well. Okay, so let's say you had that, what would you do? You just take it orally, is that what you do? Yeah, you okay. would take it orally. Okay, thank you for that question, Kimberly Tarrin, um, as well. Uh, Hanafi Idiri, how many showers should we take? A day. Okay. <laughs> well, if we're in the prevention mode, uh, one shower with that one contrast can do the trick. If you really want to rev it up uh, and you know you're going out in public and you might be at risk, I would probably do the three hot and colds in one shower in that morning, and that will invigorate you further. But if you actually have COVID or you might have COVID, we're going to ramp that up to twice a day, at least, uh, with this, with the contrast. And uh, so then on you, top of that, probably fomentations, right? Right. And fomentations would even be better. The, the water, the moist hot packs actually are far more penetrating. This is why, you know, a heating pad itself that isn't moist mm -hmm. uh, doesn't really penetrate into the lungs but the water heat itself is far more penetrating. And that's the advantage of the actual hydrotherapy and these hot fomentations and keeping them on and getting it into the chest and pulmonary areas. Yeah, and we do have, you know, we do have an instruction uh, series on that and we also gonna be coming up as well that shows you exactly what to do. 
but you really need to get prepared now out there, you know, get the supplies. You probably already have all the supplies you need. It's basically a towel and, you know, towels and, and hot water, a microwave or a stove to heat it up. Anyway, have that all spelled out for you as well. Um, You'll want to stay tuned because we treated some of our students here yesterday. Yeah. And uh, those videos are coming out and you'll have a lot of fun watching it. It'll be very easy to learn. Yeah. It's not that they were sick, but they were learning. <laughs> so they're they're quite well because we're taking care of them really closely with with hot and cold treatments every day to boost their immunity. And and we're giving them good nutrition, low fat, no sugar, very all kinds. Our of campus is very healthy. You don't hear anybody <laughs> coughing. There's no sniffles going on. Yeah, there Everybody's was a, in good health. You got a sniffle here. You'd probably be taken directly to Dr. Nelly's office. <laughs> okay, so uh, thank you for that. What about Kimberly Goldstein is asking, what about garlic? Will that help? Uh, garlic it can be helpful as well. Yeah, garlic has some antiviral properties, uh, and it also has some immune-enhancing properties. So uh, the issue with garlic, of course, it works best um, with raw garlic, but even cooked garlic will work. But the raw garlic, uh, it's probably a good way to keep up with social distancing uh, <laughs> because nobody will want to get within six feet of you after you've had a bit of raw garlic and going out. But uh, it is um, uh, something that can be repulsive, of course, uh, to others. Uh, but no, we do recommend garlic. And it's the one, number one antioxidant vegetable on top of that, uh, which has some additional benefits. Okay. Well, there's a couple of questions coming in here about NAC. Is NAC safe? Some reports say it promotes cancer per the National Cancer Institute. And then another one here, um, and that was from Ed, and another one here from Jane. Should one start taking NAC right away as a precaution or keep it in the event of the first symptoms? Um, my OBGN told me to discontinue it because I'm pregnant. Um, so what, what should we do with NAC? Okay. And acetylcysteine. There's been a lot of confusion out there about NAC. And, you know, I've been using this as a clinician for 30 years. It's a natural substance and it's been tried and true and tested in large segments of humanity and even randomized controlled trials, even though there's no drug companies behind it. Some drug companies, however, have utilized it in addition to their drug to try to get a better effect. And on some of those studies, we have found out the only positive effect was from the NAC, but since it was a randomized controlled trial and we were looking at hundreds and thousands of individuals taking it, we could look for side effects. There was no increased risk of cancer. There has been no studies showing an increased risk of cancer in any human being. This was a mouse model that was used in a large dose, and it actually showed benefit to the mouse lungs. Uh, but in a couple of studies, it showed maybe an increased risk of adenocarcinoma, which is a glandular type of cancer. But this mouse model does not translate over, at least in any of the clinical trials. In fact, NAC is something that is used by a lot of people with pulmonary disease in, in humans, and they have shown no increased risk of cancer in humans. Uh, and of course, like I say, it's a natural substance, and it's one of the most tried and true and tested uh, natural substances out there because mm -hmm. we have trials going back for 30 plus years uh, and uh, we have shown benefits, 
thousands of lives are saved every year from NAC. It's very clear because of how it protects the liver against toxins. If someone comes in with a liver toxicity from even taking Tylenol, NAC will protect you even at that stage when all, after all the Tylenol has been ingested. Mm. NAC protects the kidneys from toxic uh, damage, even from getting IV contrast. Uh, and it dramatically improves glutathione levels, which helps our immune system be a lot more detective. In fact, I, was, I found it a little bit comical, but one person said, if NAC helps the immune system, we don't want to use it for prevention for coronavirus because it's the overactive immune system on the cytokine storm that ends up doing the patient in. And so I help the immune system. Well, mm. wait a minute. <laughs> this is a complete lack of knowledge of immunity because if we have a good immune system and the glutathione levels are up, which has been shown in influenza, we'll be able to fight off that virus with minimal or no symptoms before we ever get overwhelmed by it and need a cytokine storm. Mm -hmm. The cytokine storm happens because the virus is completely overwhelming the individual. And so our body is now having to try to go into all of its reserves and there's a huge military output, which can of course kill the patient, but it's not because NAC did it. It's actually because there wasn't NAC and other things on board mm -hmm. that would help with the patient's immune system. So yes, it can be taken as a preventive. Uh, 1200 milligrams a day has been shown to be very preventive. Um, you won't get side effects um, from that. Uh, it also can be used, it's been shown in infants. There have been trials in infants. There's been trials in pregnancy. So uh, the OBGYN doctor, uh, and I understand in regards to OBGYN, if they're not sure, they always say, don't take it. Mm -hmm. But it turns out NAC actually has been studied in infancy. It's actually been studied in pregnancy. There's been no teratogenic effects any more than there would be from eating beans that have cysteine in it or those type of things because it's a natural substance. And that's another confusing aspect of NAC. Some people think this is a medicine. This is yeah. not a medication. This is a natural substance like elderberry. Okay. You know? uh, and so this is not something that you know, we synthesize. It can be synthesized and like any molecule can, but you can't patent NAC because it has been in nature. And as a result, if you try to patent it, they will say um, prior art. This has been in nature a long time. This is a natural substance. It's not something that is a foreign substance to the body that's going to cause these other effects like they're treating it. And this is the first time in 30 plus years that I've ever recommended NAC that it's been controversial at all. <laughs> but yeah. basically it's from someone who doesn't understand biochemistry and doesn't understand how to um, look at clinical trials and be able to in interpret them that is scaring off a whole host of people because he has a website and has people going on to it. So, you know, but I guess the other side of it is what you're saying is there's plant sources that the body just synthesizes anyway. Like if you eat lentils or some other foods, it has all the elements. Hemp seeds, chia seeds are good sources. Mm -hmm. Split peas are one of the best sources. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm not saying, uh, and this is why I don't necessarily want to bring too much attention to NAC. I think the other individual that's attacking it is bringing a lot more attention uh, to it by the attacks. Uh, but, you know, we can boost our immune system without using NAC. Sure. Uh, there are plenty of good ways of doing it. So I'm not saying that everyone in the world needs to go out there and take NAC. 
But if you have an immune system that's compromised for whatever reason, you need all the help you can get. Mm -hmm. And if you've got some other underlying disease like COPD, if you've got emphysema, which are two of the most prominent diseases that can send you into that 20%, uh, or if you've got other diseases on board, or if you've got a very aged immune system, why not boost it? Okay, that should uh, that should answer that. Um, what about, and thank you for that question, Jane. Um, now, Margaret, Mary Margaret Snowden is asking, so what can you take to build up your immunity fast? You heard about NAC already. What other things can do that really build it up fast? So uh, build up your immunity fast. Well, I can tell you what we just mentioned. Hydrotherapy will build it up. Exercise will build it up. It can do, you know, even a vigorous bout of exercise is going to stimulate your immune system that day. Of course, it's going to be additive and synergistic as we continue to do that. Even eating antioxidants today can help out. Making sure you have enough zinc in your system so that zinc can get in to those cells and help stop the replication of the virus. Is can you overdose important. on zinc? You know, that's another uh, very good question. We've been asked that. Um, zinc, unlike the other heavy metals, is very hard to overdose on. And so uh, if you read the old literature, you're going to be hearing about more than 40 milligrams a day might be dangerous. Uh, not true. Uh, in the GI world, we treat people with Wilson's disease with large doses of zinc, and they can live very normal lives. And those individuals can take, you know, 1,000 milligrams a day, and they're not toxic. Many of them, 400 milligrams a day, not toxic. Now, we don't recommend you take that high a dose, but we recommend that you, you know, if you're really wanting to boost your immune, uh, immunity, getting 50 milligrams a day is great. Mm -hmm. And you can build up from there if you need to. The one issue, there's two issues that zinc will cause. Because it's a metal, some people will get nauseated uh, from it, the metallic taste, and it can uh, be a little bit nauseating at first uh, if you're uh, not so used to it. And secondly, if you have too elevated a copper levels, zinc brings down copper, and if it comes down too quickly, you'll have a little tremor or anxiety. So that's one of the reasons why we recommend just the lower doses, just per chance, if you happen to have a copper issue that you were not aware of, and bringing it down too quickly. Now, those people can still take more zinc, but they'll just have to gradually build up. So if you want to be the safest, 20 milligrams a day for a week, 40 milligrams a day for a week, and then maybe 50 milligrams a day from there on out can be a very immune-enhancing uh, substance and can help you against a lot more viruses than just corona. Well, Abigail is asking, is vitamin C and zinc in a single supplement good? Uh, it's okay to use them separately or together. Uh, vitamin C is another um, potent antioxidant and can help us in, in several ways. And uh, I don't mind them together or separately. Yeah, I've heard that some people actually are taking even IV vitamin C. What would you say about that? Well, IV... You wouldn't do that at home, of course. Yeah, IV vitamin C is actually being used as a medication at that dose because they're using thousands of grams a day. And vitamin C actually becomes toxic. Uh, and that's how, why it's being used as a toxin because high-dose vitamin C turns into peroxide. Mm. And peroxide is actually a lethal uh, substance to tissues and cells and particularly more vulnerable ones. And so that's why it's being used in cancer treatments. It's being researched even right now at the Mayo Clinic 
for certain tumors and particularly the blood-related malignancies like the lymphomas and those sorts of things, it seems to have a benefit on, at least in the early trials. And it could be toxic also to viruses. Peroxide is something that can kill viruses. Mm. So uh, this is, uh, might have a therapeutic effect, but you wouldn't want to use that as an antioxidant effect because that's way beyond antioxidant. Now, someone is saying, should I gargle with hydrogen peroxide? Oh, you can gargle with it, sure. Is there any? I would recommend you spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't swallow it, just gargle with it. Yeah. That, that might kill stuff as well. Exactly, yeah. Okay, uh, Ruth Karayuki. Um, I'm sorry if I mispronounce that, Ruth, but Ruth says, How should we clean our fruits and vegetables? I went to the store. I'm worried about maybe they're whatever. What should I do to clean the fruits and vegetables? You know, water is a good cleaning agent and maybe a little bit of, um, you know, a vegetable, fruit, um, a soap type agent. As you know, the viruses are, are really totally decimated, that lipid layer from soap. Uh, and so just washing it with simple soap and water and then using a lot of water so that soap is gone. So you're not eating soap when you eat your fruits and vegetables. That would be a great way and it doesn't take long at all. And um, you can just put that on a surface, you know, like a rag or something like that, and it can quickly deactivate those viruses. All right. Uh, good questions. Good questions. Let your friends know we're on. Hopefully this doctor, this pulmonologist from Loma Linda, what's his name again? He's going to be joining us potentially. Yeah, uh, Dr. Sahult. Yeah, Dr. Yeah, Sahult. Roger Sahult is going to be joining us soon. Yeah, good. We're looking forward to that. So, um Christopher is asking, um, should we remind each other always to close the lid before we flush to prevent droplet spread? That's a practical question. Should we, we so close the lid? I think he's worried about the, if there's the oil, uh, the oral fecal thing you were talking about. He's probably concerned about the toilet bowl. Yeah. Now, you know, most toilet bowls aren't, aren't so vigorous as producing a spray every time, you know, they, they flush. But, you know, there might be some that have a pressurized toilet uh, <laughs> that's actually doing that. Yes, if there's a spray, put the lid down sure. uh, so that you don't spray that. But for the typical toilet flush, I think you'd be all right. I mean, in some parts of the world, there are toilets that are kind of different than here, and they, they would create droplets going all over. But uh, the American toilet is what we're talking about here. Okay. Gabby uh, is asking, what about eucalyptus oil? Is that something that uh, would be good? Well, eucalyptus oil uh, can also be toxic to the virus particle because it's an oil and it can get into that lipid membrane and be helpful. So sometimes it can be used as a cleaning agent or something along that line. Eucalyptus might have some immune enhancing properties as well. So some people are actually swallowing eucalyptus oil. Doesn't have quite the evidence of some of the other agents that we've talked about, like um, uh, you know olive leaf extract and some of the others. Uh, but uh, I think it probably would be quite beneficial. Someone is asking, uh, Shane is asking, from what I've seen, he says, what causes the most damage is when you get to the cytokine storm that comes directly from the immune response to the virus hi hijacking those immune cells. Then afterwards, an infection comes along and causes a secondary infection like pneumonia. Um, how does making the immune system stronger circumvent this? So he's really wanting to know, how is it that you get to that cytokine storm that you talked about and how can we 
avoid that and what's happening there? Well, here's, um, and that's a good question, and I think we kind of alluded to it earlier. A lot of people, uh, you know, are, are thinking a little paradoxically here. They're thinking, these guys are talking about boosting the immune system, but a cytokine storm is an immune system that is overactive. And so don't we want to suppress the immune system at that point? Uh, well, actually, the reason why the cytokine storm comes about is because of a suppressed immune system initially. And so the best time to have the best immune system is our first line of defense, those monocytes, um, those neutrophils, uh, even um, the macrophages, the natural killer cells. Uh, this is our first line of defense. And if that first line of defense is working well, we won't ever have to worry about a cytokine storm. Now, there have been studies utilizing steroids in people with cytokine storm because steroids suppress the immune system. Mm -hmm. But actually, the studies are very conflicted on this. The steroids don't seem to help that much. They are suppressing our immune system and they might help slow down that cytokine storm, but we're really not showing benefit as far as life expectancy is concerned when we get to that cytokine storm. So we can try to throw everything at the immune system, try to slow it down at that point. But in reality, it's too late because the immune system was too weak to begin with. So if, if a healthy immune system was the reason why cytokine storms were happening, we would see a large amount of deaths in infants and in eight-year-olds and in 12-year-olds and those with the healthiest immune systems. But we're seeing very few deaths uh, only in, in those really with compromised immune systems already. So the problem is not a healthy immune system. I probably can't stress that enough. The mm -hmm. problem is an unhealthy immune system. And that's why we're talking about getting it healthy so we don't ever have to have our body feel like it has to go into a cytokine storm. Mm. So, yeah, you're boosting your immunity or supplementing what your system does, it's, it's a system. It's not just one thing. Exactly. Is excellent. And if you do that, you're not going to have to worry about a cytokine storm. So let's look here. Um, uh, Al Martha Forbes Thomas is asking, are there any recommendations in terms of the alkaline nature of my body? Well, the body is alkaline. Uh, the pH in the blood is 7.4. Uh, and uh, as far as acidic versus alkaline, uh, there really isn't um, a whole lot of evidence that we're going to be helping the immune system by making it more alkaline. There is some evidence that we might help prevent cancer, uh, those sorts of things by making it more alkaline. But in reality, we, in order, particularly if you get this virus, you want it to actually be a little more acidic. And the reason why is when we become more acid, our oxygen dissociation curve actually releases oxygen at the site. It's one of the reasons why hydrotherapy works out. You know, we talked about what hydrotherapy does to monocytes, leukocytes, but one of the most powerful effects of hydrotherapy is shifting the oxygen dissociation curve to the right. This is where we look at PO2 and we look at oxygen saturation and how it relates to hemoglobin Mm. and that release that occurs. And so it, the more basic it is, the more the oxygen binds onto the hemoglobin, but we don't want it to bind on there forever. Uh, it has to travel to get to the tissues. We want it to release into the tissues. 
And the more acidic the tissues are, the more readily it releases. Okay. And that's one of the advantages of hydrotherapy, and it's one of the reasons why we don't want to drive the pH up very high uh, in treating infections and why nobody gives IV bicarb as a way of, of treating viral infections. Yeah. Okay, good. Hope that answers your question. Uh, Michael Lloyd, uh, if you had coronavirus, would you take hydro, hydroxychloroquine and or azithromycin? Uh, if you had it, they want to know what you would do. Would you take those those medications? Well, let's talk about those medicines and what they do. Uh, in fact, how this was first discovered, it appears, is that in China, we were finding people with autoimmune diseases and with pre-existing illnesses much more likely to die, except for one group, and that was the group with lupus. Mm. They were getting the virus, but they weren't dying, and they weren't really having any problems. And then finally, an astute researcher said, why is our, our lupus patients being spared? And then the other one said, could it be it's not their lupus that's sparing them, but is it their Plaquenil or the hydroxychloroquine? Because that's a drug that's commonly used even in China for lupus. It's also used here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And then when we started looking into the mechanism, one of the things that hydroxychloroquine does is it opens up the lipid membrane of the cell to allow zinc in mm -hmm. through an ionosphere. And so, and it does that over tenfold what it would otherwise. So if we have zinc around and we have hydroxychloroquine, that zinc can get in much more readily and stop the replication of the virus. And studies now surfacing from around the world are showing that if we use this early enough, it's highly effective. And the azithromycin has some anti-inflammatory properties and, and prevents or can help treat a secondary infection that's there. So these are pretty benign drugs. You know, this isn't something that's a high-risk drug at all. And uh, it's, it's safer than even chloroquine. And people take hydroxychloroquine for years um, without issues uh, for the most part. And so if I knew I had COVID-19... You'd take it in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, you would, uh, I, would, uh, I would recommend this. In fact, I should mention our local pharmacist uh, here in town that we work with. It's, he's actually in Colfax. I called him at the very beginning of this outbreak because I understood the role of hydroxychloroquine and zinc. And I said, I'd like you to order a whole bunch of hydroxychloroquine in because I'm going to be treating patients here. And if they're COVID-19 positive, I'm going to be using this. Yeah. And uh, he said, I'd never heard of this. He started looking it up. He looked at it. He ordered a bunch in and uh, he's sparing it now that it's become, you know, really sought very, after. very sought after. <laughs> um, he's only allowing COVID positive patients to get it. But that's why we want to diagnose them early in the process, because the studies are also showing that once they're in ICU and they get the cytokine storm, it's kind of too late at that point. Yeah. And okay, we have the doctor with us, Dr. Seaholt. Welcome. We're glad you're with us. And uh, Dr. Seaholt is joining us, I think, from Loma Linda, where he's working in the ICU today. Or maybe Redlands. Or maybe Redlands. So, are you there? Can you hear us? Hello, Dr. Seaholt. All right, we're not uh, getting your sound yet. We're trying to get you up there. All right. So we'll, we'll have to work on your sound here a little bit. I don't, 
Okay, is it on? Can, can you? All right, yeah, yeah, we can. Is it on? All right, yes. Okay. No, we're still not getting them. All right. Uh, we're trying to get to your audio so we can hear it. We see you. We're glad you're with us. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, hang in there till we get our technology just, just worked on. All right, try again. Dr. Sahult. Uh, he can hear us, but we can't hear him. All right, we've got some audio engineers back there, and uh, we'll get them working on this right away. Uh, the question we just answered, I don't know if you had heard us talking, um, Roger, but the question was about, um, uh, we have live questions coming in because uh, this is a live program, but we had uh, people asking about if we ourselves had COVID-19 and we were positive, would we take azithromycin and hydroxychloroquine? So I was describing uh, how that worked and how zinc comes into the cell and stops the replicase. Uh, but I was giving my opinion on this, but uh, it'd be nice to hear your opinion uh, on that can, as well for our listeners. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes, we've got you. Okay. Okay. So nice to be with you all. Um, so there are several proposed mechanisms by which hydroxychloroquine is thought to prevent the uh, entrance of the cell or uh, the virus into the cell. Um, one of those ways is, of course, is, is a zinc ionophore, and they showed that pretty well in a scientific study. The other way is to uh, alter the pH of the lysosomes. The reason why I uh, felt that the, the zinc was interesting was because quercetin, which of course is a supplement, has also been touted by a couple of scientists, one from Canada, one from China, and they're actually doing a randomized placebo-controlled trial in China on that, is also a zinc ionophore. And um, this has been shown that intracellular zinc inhibits the replicase enzyme uh, of the virus. So even though we don't know for sure that it's through a zinc ionophore method, it seems to be a tantalizing uh, option. The real problem, and I'm, and I'm dealing with this actually as we speak, I'm taking care of some COVID patients here at, at the hospital. Um, one of the issues that I've seen with the combination of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin is both medications can, are known to cause what we call QT prolongation. This is a, a problem with uh, the electrical conduction in the heart, and it's something that we have to monitor very carefully with patients here in the intensive care unit, even though both of them are oral medications and, uh, and you could take them at home. Uh, it's, it's possible that you could have fatal arrhythmias uh, from both of these medications, especially when given together. So it, you've got to be pretty careful about it. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and that QT prolongation is something that's been well documented. We even test that out in lupus patients that are taking it, particularly if they have cardiac issues, and, and make sure that that QT prolongation isn't going to put them at risk for a fatal arrhythmia. Yeah, so we really have enjoyed, uh, we're referring people to your uh, coronavirus pandemic videos, uh, update 46, 47, and talking about hydrotherapy or, you know, you call them something different, hyperthermal treatments. Um, what are you hearing about that? Are you trying to utilize any of that where you are? Are you looking at uh, using that in the ICU? 
Yeah, in fact, I've started to use it already in the intensive care unit. It wasn't very difficult, uh, and I, I work at a non-Adventist hospital, and um, they are, it, it's definitely all of the above is what we're looking at. Um, even though I believe that the use of what we traditionally call hydrotherapy is something that probably is going to be of more benefit once it's used earlier on, just like any other treatment. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't use it in the intensive care unit, especially if we have patients admitted to the floor who uh, might uh, progress and be in the intensive care unit as a way of trying to prevent that. So we are using it. We really haven't gotten a protocol down. What I'm uh, using is, is the hot fomentations basically with uh, the towel and, and we're uh, uh, ending that with a, uh, a cold uh, ice with friction uh, that, uh, that we've uh, picked up and learned about. I've sort of educated the nurses. Where I'm really trying to work with, and I've discussed this with one of our nurses today, and we're in the early stages of trying to get IRB approval, is we have a tent outside our hospital and we're sending patients home who clearly have symptoms of COVID-19, although we haven't gotten the test back. And what we'd love to do is to institute a very simple protocol and have them uh, institute this, follow up with phone calls, and see if it can reduce the incidence of these people coming back. So many of these patients that I've seen here in the last few days are patients that were here earlier in the week, had come in with symptoms, were sent home, told to self-isolate, and then just come in with a lots of symptoms of shortness of breath and are back. And, and I just can't help but think if there's something that we can't do so I've talked to our chief of the uh, emergency department. I've talked to one of our nurse practitioners. Uh, we are trying to get a protocol together and try and get past IRB approval. I don't see it costing much other than the follow-up. Uh, obviously, you're going to really want to make sure that patients have adhered to the therapy um, and calling and making sure they're doing it every day. What we're thinking of is the contrast shower as an approach uh, to see if that's helpful. Um, it, it may be not enough. We may need to do something more than that. Um, I don't know. Great. Did you have a follow-up on that, Dr. Nelly? Well, uh, yeah, Roger, I know there's a lot of uh, focus on trying to ever get the infection uh, to begin with, and then there's a lot of focus on having enough ventilators uh, and enough uh, treatment in the ICU, but uh, those in the in-between stages, uh, you don't see much advice going out to them other than just hunker down self-quarantine and hope for the best that they don't get bad enough to have to come into the hospital. And this gives them some real things that they could do to uh, actually greatly improve their odds. Exactly. And, and if, even, if the, even if the intervention has a very small effect, which I'm not saying it would, it could have a large effect, but even if it has a small effect and you take the current rate of 80% of people who could become infected will be just fine without any kind of medical intervention at the hospital, if you increase that to 85%, well, you've just dropped the number of people needing hospitalization from 20% down to 15%, and that's a 25% reduction. That could have a major impact at the hospital level. And I really would call upon people who are in capitated uh, environments in terms of medical, uh, you know, we're talking to Kaisers, we're talking to HMOs, they really have a lot to gain here. We're not going to see a randomized placebo-controlled trial from a drug company, but what we're going to see is potentially, um, you know, single-payer health programs, HMOs, Kaiser-like type of organizations who really want to reduce hospitalization. This is the kind of thing that really doesn't cost a lot of money to do. It's not going to run out. You're not going to go to Costco and see the shelf empty of hydrotherapy. <laughs> it's something you can do at home. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're trying to train people with that here. So we have a, a course and we also just filmed Dr. Nedley and a team here filmed basically a step-by-step -step protocol for at home. So that may be useful to some of the people that are watching your videos as well. And uh, we've been in touch with, I think his name is Bruce. I can't remember his last name, who you're working yeah. with. And we're trying to get those protocols together. But even people at home or, you know, we get calls from Samoa, from uh, some of these nations that during the Spanish flu and these other things, they really had a high mortality rate. And they don't really have anything like all, they're not going to have all the ICU stuff that we have here. So anything we can do to train in these areas, we're trying to put together things. You're right. And, and you know, just the day after it was announced that um, hydroxychloroquine was going to be fast-tracked to approval to the FDA, you couldn't get it in a pharmacy. So even if there was a medication that worked beautifully, that uh, was the answer. You know, we're having trouble getting it in the first world. What about those countries that don't have as many resources as we do? What's going to be the answer for them? In, in six months to a year, you know, COVID-19 may be a thing of the past in the United States, but it's going to go around the world. It's going to get to other countries. And the, the question is, what's the answer going to be there? And I think this, this has a lot of potential. Great. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Sahult, I know you started your MedCram uh, site kind of as a help to medical students and residents to understand difficult material. You know, I just got introduced to you at the beginning of the COVID crisis. Uh, actually, it had to do with the, the zinc thing, because I was talking about zinc, and someone said, someone else is talking about that. And I got on your, your site and saw you know, how you were talking about even quercetin potentially helping zinc get into the cell. And it was a very good educational tool. And I know thousands of people are tuned into your videos, because now it's not just for helping medical students. You're helping really scientists and medical people around the world understand the pathophysiology of COVID-19. And, uh, and so the, the MedCram part probably costs money. Is that right? Do, do students have to pay for this in order to get better board scores? Or how does that work? Well, what we do, obviously, we started on YouTube as a YouTube channel. And so, of course, all of that is, is free. Um, initially, what it was is students would come to my rotation from, uh, it was the PA school at Loma Linda University, and they would come to our rotation, and uh, we would go over the same lectures. I, one day, I had a PA student that I met named, by the name of Kyle Allred, and he's the one, he's the other half of MedCram. He's the one that uh, founded it, uh, he and I together. And he said, there's a, there's a better way of doing this. You know, students don't go to the library and check out uh, journal articles. They, they, uh, they look at the shortest YouTube video that they can find. Yeah. And so um, what this was is basically, it was a way of being efficient. I could refer the student to the YouTube video and then we would discuss it the next day in class. And this is kind of known as flipping the classroom where we're able to um, have, have students learn something in a monologue way on the internet and then use that time wisely in, in the dialogue aspect to talk about it. Anyway, um, so we've been doing videos since 2012, and then we finally opened up the, the website, and we've presented some more CME stuff, so continuing medical education, uh, review courses, things of that nature, and that took some money, and so we've made some of those things uh, premium, but a lot of things on the site are actually free. Just sign up. For instance, we've uh, put a free ventilator course on the site for anybody who you know, maybe had some knowledge about 
using ventilators but wanted to rush up, especially with the current COVID-19 pandemic, they might be called upon to take care of patients on the ventilator. They might want to brush up on that. So we've made that formally uh, a paid course. Now it's free. Wow. So we've been using that as a way of, of getting the word out. Well, that's great. And uh, so now you have all these free COVID-19 updates. How many of you had, have you done so far now? It's like 50, uh, we just Yeah, we just recorded, uh, I believe, number 48 last night. And okay. um, really, I wanted uh, to, the purpose of these was to bring something that's, This you have to understand, this is medicine. This is what, what we go to work and we go, as you know, in the hospital, nobody looks at, everyone's looking at sports and basketball and football and no, really nobody looks at us. Well, for the first time that I can remember, the entire world is looking at the medical field and they're being told about things like viruses and curves and all these things. And there's so much disinformation out there that I thought our channel would be uh, sort of a way of bridging the language of medicine, which is usually a foreign language to many people into the vernacular of everyday life. Well, you've done a great job, and uh, I'd certainly like to encourage our viewers uh, to get on your site to, uh, to learn more about how to interpret all that, and even physicians and, and internal medicine people, you know, to learn how to, to run a ventilator again. It may be since uh, residency, you know, for a lot of these outpatient doctors, I haven't seen a ventilator for years. And, uh, you know, you, you break it down and make it easy. And uh, we, we appreciate that. And I, I have to say that I have learned a lot from, uh, from some of the comments that have come in. For instance, um, Bruce, the one that's going to be uh, helping us with some of the protocols, um, was, uh, was introduced to me by one of our viewers on MedCram, Dr. Campbell from Australia. And I have to say, Dr. Nedley, that I've learned a lot from you. I uh, didn't know about the uh, N-acetylcysteine. I learned that in your interview with Doug Batchelor. So I think what's happened here is that the medium of the internet has allowed the educational curve everywhere to speed up very quickly. Uh, in your front line, uh, you know, where you are now, what kind of things could be helpful to you from, say, lifestyle centers or places like this. Dr. Nelly's kind of unusual in that he works in an ICU and also is working with a sanitarium. Uh, but what kind of things could be helpful to you? And then another question I have is, how are you integrating your faith into what you're doing? Yeah, so it's something that I think we have, it's making me think outside the box because initially as I read through what our faith has told us about things. Maybe we read between the lines too much and we thought that we were going to have uh, clinics on every corner. We'd be able to go to people's homes. And, and that still may be the case. But I'm just wondering whether or not that the way that this is going to work is by explaining things over the internet and using the internet as a way to get that word out. It becomes clearer and clearer to me that that may be the major way that we do that. Um, and so in terms of the medium and how we do it. I, I think that what we're doing right now, as we speak, uh, putting out classes on the internet, we have no choice at this point because of isolation. <laughs> this may be teaching us some new tools. Mm -hmm. God may be teaching mm -hmm. us some new tools. In terms of my faith, you know, I've always uh, been a devout Seventh-day Adventist and I believe in, in all of those, of those things. Um, but my channel uh, is uniquely designed for people who are not of this faith, people who may be even atheists. 
And um, I have to make sure that I am presenting uh, something that isn't based on my faith, even though I think I might know what the right answer is. I have to base it on the science. And one of the big things that I think that we have now between when we were talking about this 100 years ago and now is that the science, the way the science has been uh, designed, we have cell biology uh, um, experiments. We can show that the monocytes are involved in innate immunity. We can, we can show that by changing the temperature ambiently that we can increase uh, monocytes. So yes, there are a bunch of sub, uh, circumstantial evidence and one thing leads to another, you know, one, one precept upon another precept to, to quote somebody. But um, what's interesting to me is so people are far more open to this now in terms of the hydrotherapy and things because there is such a need for it. Um, it's basically the good cannot be the enemy of the perfect. And I think that's, uh, that tells me that our time has come. Mm. Yeah, one, of the, one of the things we're planning to do here is we have, you know, a stable of New START physicians. We have nurses and different things. We have a, a New START program. But we're, we're having to think exactly like you're saying, of may, maybe delivering that even online and teaching all yep. these kind of things and trying to have high volume. I mean, get, get the word out to as many people as possible and maybe doing telemedicine type stuff with yep. people. Yeah, we're talking about putting on our first online residential depression and anxiety recovery program when people are hunkered down at home for 10 days. Uh, yeah. Why not you make this all count for them and optimize their brain in, in this whole process? Now, uh, you know, we've become, we've go become very good in this church at uh, media centers and, um, and videotaping and all of our churches have been very good at getting things online for the last 20 years. And I can't help but think that, that the Holy Spirit's been moving in that way, preparing us for a time such as this. Yeah. Now, do you, I know you're very busy uh, and I'm hoping you have a few minutes because we have questions that have been coming in from the Facebook site. And if you'd like to join us for some of these questions, it would be great uh, to answer them live. I, I don't know if I'll be able to do that. I just stepped out of the, the ICU here in the parking lot, so I get a good signal. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I see. Well, what, whatever you have time for. Do you, yeah. have, do you have one or Well, or we're, we're really thankful you could join us. And I, I, probably got a, I probably got a couple of minutes now if you just read them to me. I don't okay. know if I'll be able to log on them. Yeah. Okay. A couple questions. Uh, um, how, uh, is, these are... <laughs> There's a bunch of questions about NAC, um, zinc, um, colloidal silver. Is it helpful against the virus? That one, I've seen a lot of comments about that. I just haven't had time to uh, look into that. Um, I do know that there have been some, uh, obviously silver is a antimicrobial. Um, they, they put, um, biological devices, people, we put uh, lines into people, they coat it with silver because it prevents infections. But I also know on the other side of things that people can certainly overdose on these things. Uh, if, if you've ever read about the blue man, uh, these people that turn blue, they take a lot of uh, colloidal silver and it, and it can be a, a problem. Uh, I'd have to do more reading on that. Saunas, I've heard a sauna is beneficial. How can you get that benefit if you don't have a sauna? That's an excellent question. So that may have come from our video that we did uh, where I employed the idea of saunas, which can give you heat. You don't have to have a sauna. One of the interesting things that I find about saunas is that there's, there's one culture in the world that uses saunas probably more than any other culture, and that's the Finnish mm -hmm. culture. 
Um, there's about 5.5 million people in Finland. There's about 2 million saunas in Finland. <laughs> and of course, each sauna can hold up to about two or three people. Uh, so you could actually get the entire population of Finland all at the same time into all of their collective saunas and it would collect, it would hold all of them. Um, and wow. I've seen a statistic that 99% of people in Finland have a sauna finishing with a cold bath at least once a week. If you look at the data, uh, one of the websites that I like to use is called Worldometer, Worldometer, and they break down all of the, the statistics day by day by country. And if you look at the Nordic countries, uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, um, Finland's got the best numbers out of all. You know, if you look at, into Asia, uh, the Japanese are very famous for their very hot baths. Um, they're not doing too badly either when you compare them to the other uh, Asian countries. But you certainly don't need a sauna to get the benefits of heat, hot, and cold. Um, there's some very nice videos that you can find on Russian baths or Russian foot baths where you put your feet in a very hot um, bath and you wrap up so you get the heat and then you can cool off. There's many ways of doing the same thing. And so you don't have to have a sauna to do this. So, Again, we're looking for a solution that is available to everybody without having to go out and buy. If the sauna was the, if, if the, sauna was the solution, we'd be out of saunas uh, in about 24 hours. <laughs> so someone asked, how long do I spend in the sauna? Okay, so the, the only information that I have uh, so far, and I'm waiting for Bruce, uh, our physiotherapist in Australia, to come up with uh, what he thinks is the best, because he's set up actually a lot of hydrotherapy. Is actually, I got that from, uh, it's the Weimar uh, equation, uh, Dr. Nedley. It's, it's five minutes hot shower with one minute cold, followed by three minutes hot, one minute cold, three minutes hot, one minute cold. Um, that's what I'm doing. I did it last night. I've been doing it now for the past week, trying to boost my immune system. Yeah, doesn't it make you feel better afterwards? It, it does. <laughs> Vitamin D3, should we take it? And how much should we take, asked Jeannie uh, Blue. So this is a good question. There's a British medical journal um, uh, meta-analysis. So this is where they actually looked at many studies, looked at, and they broke it down to individuals, then grouped them all together. So it was a very big, powerful study. And the conclusions that they came up with is that there's no question now that vitamin D definitely improves immunity against viruses and things of that nature. What they found very interesting, though, is that it, it seemed to help people the most that were deficient. That makes sense. But what was also what they found was that it, it benefits people who take a regular dose on either a daily basis or a weekly basis, not on a basis where you take a whole bunch at once if you get a cold. That's not the way to do it. Um, how much should you take? In the study, in the meta-analysis, they found actually that the best benefit was in the lower doses, for instance, around 25 micrograms, which would be about 1,000 international units a day, or, or up to even about 50 micrograms. Um, my wife gives me a uh, 2,000 international units capsule every morning, so that's what I do. Um, uh, but in, in, in terms of how much, really the best advice that I could probably give you is get tested, find out if you're deficient, and then take a certain dose and then get tested again to make sure it's the appropriate dose. Okay, uh, this person just joined in and didn't hear our previous discussion about NAC, so I'll ask you, what about NAC? How do you use it? Well, I learned it from Dr. Nedley, and I looked up the study, and it's right, 600 milligrams twice a day, 
N-acetylcysteine is a reducing agent and it, it helps your liver take care of oxidants. And probably Dr. Nedley could take it from there. He <laughs> knows more about it than I do. Uh, what about 5G networks? Some people have said 5G network leads to immunocompromised situations. Any truth to this? Well, you know, we just don't have the evidence uh, for that. It's certainly possible that that could happen. I don't sleep next to my phone at night. I put it on the other side of the house. Um, you could also uh, turn off your Wi-Fi machine. You could have your Wi-Fi on a timer so that it's off. You're certainly not using it at night. Uh, you know, are electromagnetic waves dangerous to the human body? It's certainly possible. I just don't know if there's been enough 5G evidence that, that we, should, we know that. I have zinc picolinate. Is that the same thing? Yeah, so zinc picolinate, zinc uh, oxide, these are all the anions that the zinc is paired with. And there are some beliefs that if you pair it with one anion versus another, you can get better bioavailability. There's two ways that you can use zinc. You can just take zinc to have enough zinc so you make sure you're not zinc deficient. And usually any kind of zinc oxide or zinc picolinate will do that. Um, the other way to take zinc is with a zinc lozenge. So you kind of put it in the back of your throat. You kind of let it marinate back there. And hopefully the zinc, by diffusion, kind of gets into the areas where the virus likes to get because the virus doesn't like zinc. Um, I tried to get some zinc lozenges, but I couldn't get any because they were all sold out. I was too late. Uh, <laughs> but if you can get them, that's great. <laughs> okay. Moringa leaf. Is it helpful? That one I don't know about. I haven't studied that one. Okay, lipo, do you know anything about moringa leaf? No. I don't know anything about moringa What about leaf. liposomal vitamin C? Oh, liposomal. Okay, lipos liposomal, liposomal vitamin C. That is a potentially a way of getting it into your body, making it more bioavailable. Let me tell you, vitamin C, I completely believe that vitamin C has effects. There's uh, a number of studies that have looked at vitamin C and things other than COVID-19. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Paul Merrick out of East Virginia Medical School, who about three years ago uh, looked at the potential possibility of vitamin C with thiamine and hydrocortisone in septic shock. He did 47 patients without it and then did 47 patients afterwards with it. And uh, he noticed that those patients who we gave it to were able to get off vasopressors. These are medications that increase your blood pressure, was able to get out of septic shock faster. Um, they're doing a randomized placebo-controlled trial on that. Then there was another study that was just published about, oh, about four or five months ago called Citrus Ali, C-I-T-R-U-S-A-L-I, if you want to look it up. Um, they made mortality in that study a secondary endpoint, and because of that, they weren't really able to announce that there was a finding of reduced mortality in that study because it was a secondary endpoint. But they looked at septic shock and importantly, ARDS, which is one of the mechanisms of death in COVID-19. That showed that there was a mortality benefit in super high doses. We're talking four grams every six hours. So that's a lot of vitamin C. Mm. And they did notice a mortality benefit in that study. So I think there is something to vitamin C. All of the studies that I've seen are intravenous studies. Um, I know that there are community clinics which offer infusion of IV vitamin C. I don't know if there's much utility in that unless you actually get the disease. Hmm. So we'll have yeah. to keep our eyes open. Thermophores, are they as work as well as fomentations? Yeah. So uh, if you are familiar with Dr. Ben Lau, Benjamin Lau, he has a really good book out that he published a few years ago. And I forgot exactly the title of it, but it has to do with um, 
using hydrotherapy in viral illnesses or something like that. Benjamin Lau, L-A-U is his last name. And it's out there. I think um, his Chinese friends published it on a Chinese website, so you can find it. He recommended the specifically the uh, the Battle Creek version of the uh, of the um, thermophore, and um, I, I'll tell you what I have personal experience. I went out and bought one, and that thing does get pretty hot. I think I think the best way to use that, you know, when you're doing the uh, fomentation, is every five minutes you got to put a new hot towel on because it cools off too quickly. This pad, this thermophore, allows you to put the fomentation on cover it up with the hot heating pad and you've got it for 20, 30 minutes. Um, and I think that's a great advantage in terms of making it very uh, easy to use. But remember now, this is, and this is a key point, anytime we add to our protocol something that you have to buy, we're limiting its universality. So we have to be careful that we want to make things convenient, but we may be excluding people who are not able to get it. So I think we ought to give as many options as possible. And that's what I've liked about some of the videos that I've seen is they've shown how to put it in a microwave, how to use a heating stove, how to use an oven, how to use a pot. So all of these things are available. And I think what we have to focus on is, is what people have in their homes. They may not have a thermophore. Okay, yeah, it's good. Good. And, uh, you know, we, like, we're, we're doing a bunch of free videos as well. I'll send you the, the, uh, the link if you want to put it up with your, your folks. Uh, newstart.com. We have a bunch of videos that are free that talk about some of these differences. And then also we have one for our community called tciwemar.com, which is total community immunity. <laughs> so tciwemar.com. So you might let your folks know about that as well. And uh, we're going to be letting people know about, about your videos as well. Um, well, we have Dr. Roger uh, Salute, and so uh, so uh, great to have you with us uh, today, and so um, great that you took time out of your yes, pulmonary you. practice uh, in doing this. And uh, I know you're you're busy, and you had a few minutes, but thanks for answering those questions for us. And uh, we ought so to do much. this. We ought to do this again sometime. Absolutely, yes. I'll be off uh, next week, so I think we'll have more opportunity. Okay. All right. Hey, we'll look forward to it. And uh, mind if we say a little prayer for you? Thank you. Father in heaven, Lord, we're just thankful for the doctor who took his time. Bless him, protect him, give him wisdom as he's working with the people right in front of him. And thank you for the wider, wider audience you've given him to bring the principles of, of science and of faith uh, where that's appropriate as well. And just bless his family and the rest of his shift. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, that was great. Uh, really enjoyed that uh, dialogue for someone on the front lines. Yeah. And uh, nice to uh, see what he's doing in educating the world, really, in regards to uh, COVID-19. I think he made a good uh, point there in regards to uh, you know, everyone he looks at the sports world and that sort of thing. But part of the reason why they don't look at medicine is because they don't understand it. And so, uh, you know, when, when you start understanding the rules of sports, you, you're more interested in following it. And when you understand the language of medicine and how the physiology and all of this works, it's really a great opportunity for the public to be schooled in anatomy and physiology and, 
and also pathophysiology. These are things that can make a tremendous impact in our own personal lives as well as the lives of others. And it's far more practical and useful than um, you know, learning the stats of the, you know, the, the quarterback who is the, the big, biggest phenomenal uh, quarterback for this year, which will do you no good uh, really at all as far as uh, overall enhancement is concerned. So I appreciate what Dr. Rogers Salute is doing. Yeah, all those videos, they're great. We recommend to, them to you as well on MedCram. And just look up the coronavirus videos. They're actually free at this point. You can get them. Oh, we have Dr. Nerida with us all the way from New Zealand. Thank you for joining us. How are you this morning? Is it morning there or is it evening? Oh, it's early afternoon. Early afternoon. <laughs> Good. So, uh, yeah, uh, we're talking about all things uh, coronavirus. We're talking about COVID-19. What's happening down there in, uh, in New Zealand? Well, we are in total lockdown right now. So um, I'm one of the few people who get to drive out each day and go to work. And everyone else is locked down. Um, we are able to go to the supermarket for food, and that's about it. So the traffic is really great right now. Traffic is great. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> we've locked down very early. We have only had one COVID death uh, so far. We've just got a handful in intensive care units around the country. But we have got uh, 800 cases out there climbing. Well, it's actually, we're steady. We've, we've flattened our curve right now. Um, but it's interesting to see that uh, we're not, we don't have the deaths, we don't have the severe illness, and I'm wondering if that's because we are coming out of summer, and so our vitamin D levels are very good right now. Mm. Good point. Good point. Uh, one of the reasons uh, I called you was because I was talking to a friend of yours, uh, Joanna, or Joanne, and she was telling me how you were very effective. I, I put up a post on my Facebook asking about people who had actually treated pneumonia with hydrotherapy or viral infections. And she, she actually sent me a message. I, I won't mention her full name. I don't know if she wants me to do that. But tell me, uh, tell me, have you had experience with hydrotherapy and treating pneumonia? And, and have, you, uh, had, have you had effective uh, outcomes with that? Yes, I, I have. Um, so um, I think for Joanne, it was at that time, her husband, he was having chemotherapy and he, he subsequently um, passed away from his cancer. But during his chemotherapy, his immune system was very low and he developed a pneumonia viral, not a lot to do when it's a viral pneumonia. And so he was kept at home. So I would go over each day, my husband and I, when we would do a, what's called a general revulsive, but really it's, it's one hot fermentation to the spine. So he would lie down on that over his back. And, and in the spine, we've got a lot of bone marrow. It's also your core. And so you're heating the whole core of the body by doing that. And then because the um, pneumonia was in his chest, we would do hot and cold fermentations alternating across his chest. And then at the same time to try and heat the body temperature up, we um, put his feet in a hot foot bath. And we, I have sort of, a, as a general rule, I use the rule of fours is what I call it. So 
about uh, four minutes of hot and a quarter minute of cold. And so we alternate four times um, and do that cycle. And so generally, if you've got something very serious like that, a hydrotherapy treatment would need to can be repeated every uh, day for three or four days. Now I understand Dr. Kellogg back in his day would do treatments up to three times a day on his sickest patients. And so that would be the ideal. And so we taught Joanne how to also do it when we were not there, but we would go every day to do that treatment and, and David recovered. Now, um, I have also used it on someone with a serious upper respiratory tract infection, so febrile they were hallucinating. And by the end of one treatment, their fever broke and they were well. Now, I, they were well into their, their sickness. And so they may have been sick for three, four days, but it just hastened their recovery. It was amazing to watch right before my eyes. Great. And so uh, are you being sought after now to do a lot of training down there in New Zealand? Are you involved in training people how to do these treatments? Well, the lockdown came very rapidly for us and we were just about to start our teaching, our training series. And uh, so lockdown put an end to that and we were not able to communicate with our, our group. We, it's a monthly group, but I didn't have their email. And so, and it's, it's kind of difficult to, um, to do the training with just Zoom like this, but it's probably something that we should be thinking about. We've actually uh, done a series. We just taped one last week, uh, and we're gonna, it's going to be coming out. And then we have a series of videos as well you might want to let your people know about on newstart.com. And then there's a playlist looking at coronavirus. And then we have a website that we use for the community called TCI, Total Community Immunity Weimar.com. So TCIWeimar.com. And you're welcome to use all of those free resources as well. That's, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Because the more we have, the better. And I, and I, I think about my um, Pacific Island nations nearby to New Zealand who have very limited resources and we really fear for them. And COVID is starting to creep in there. And uh, so that was one reason why we went into lockdown here in New Zealand is because we are almost a gateway to the Pacific and we wanted to protect them also. Excellent. Uh, well, I'll give you a question that just came in if you have a minute. Jeff Reed is asking, I heard that the smell of pine is good for the respiratory system. Is this true? Ah, yes. That, this was a treatment that was used to treat TB patients back before we had antibiotics. They would be sent up into the mountains, into the pine forests, because pine creates a scent that is effective for um, opening up the airways and for treating. And, and I don't know if you know, but pine needles are actually very high in vitamin C. You can eat them and uh, they're rather tasty, some of them. Um, <laughs> but the pine scent is also um, helpful to the lungs and so it was, it was getting out into sunshine, the fresh air, and getting amongst the pine that was helpful for treating TB. So I think it's a good, good, simple therapy if you've got pines around. We have plenty of pine trees here in Weimar and we treated tuberculosis here at Weimar for many years. 
outdoors, sunlight, vitamin D, and it was very successful. And that was before the antibiotics um, came around for tuberculosis. Now, I watched a video by Dr. Sahult, who was just on with us, and he said, interestingly speaking of TB, that giving a revaccination of TB seems to stimulate the immune system as well. Uh, have either of you heard about that? Yeah, it has been, a, um, you know, the, the vaccine has been called BCG, and it can even help as far as immunotherapy in certain types of cancers like bladder cancer, and it may be helpful in, uh, in preventing or treating certain infections. Um, but, uh, of course, it'd be unknown as far as corona is concerned. Uh, BCG also can cause some side effects. It can cause a significant um, adverse um, uh uh, antibody um, storm almost as far as the joints are concerned. And so there's a few people who get worse with that vaccine. And so you have to be careful. Okay. Um, any things you're encountering down there, Dr. Narda, that, uh, that we should know about? Any things that you would tell us, give us advice for what, what's going on here or any things down there we should know about? Not really. I think that uh, we are just entering the COVID um, situation. We, our country is hoping to eliminate it or severely ameliorate it. So I don't have a lot to share, but I do know that from personal experience that hydrotherapy is very effective and um, just being, just self-care is so important to, to boost our immune system so that we resist this infection. So give me and, a couple uh, give me a couple of those quick things. What what are you telling people to boost their immune system? What are you sharing with them uh, as your tips to help boost the immune system? I think one of the most common reasons that um, people get sick is from stress and lack of sleep. And so I'm encouraging people not to cheat themselves out of sleep, to go to bed early and uh, to, to make sure that they get their seven to nine hours sleep every night. And uh, in terms of stress, I'm just encouraging people to trust in God. Mm. You know, if we, this thing is so much bigger than ourselves, this COVID-19, but God is so much bigger than that again. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, there's the, the, the saying, there's no atheists in, the, in a foxhole. Um, it's like we're in foxholes right now. We've dug in, we're in lockdown. And I think it's a time that, that we can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you've got us covered. And, and there are so many wonderful promises in the Bible. And so, you know, I'm working among, in a secular environment amongst people who don't necessarily have a relationship with God, but who know that he's out there. And so I'm just encouraging people to, to um, build their relationship with him and to um, focus on his promises and not to fear. Mm. Amen. Question comes in from Gina uh, Ginger Porter. I understand you can cut up an onion and put it next to you as well as you can grind an onion and put it between two paper towels, saran wrap around your chest um, in a warm towel on the top and just sleep all night with that. Does that work? Well, I'm a believer in poultices. And I think that um, if you are treating 
an, an issue that is visible, a poultice will definitely help. Um, I'm not, uh, I've, I'm, I know that um, people recommend onions and garlic cut up, left around rooms, if you're trying to adsorb toxins. Say you've got a new paint job, they'll, they'll adsorb some of those fumes um, because of the sulfur, double sulfur bonds in some of these, in the alliums. Um, but I don't know that I've used, I've heard of an onion poultice over the chest. I'm not saying it wouldn't work, um, but I haven't heard of using that, certainly not as a prophylaxis to prevent an infection. Mm. That's a new one for me too. That's new? Okay. <laughs> so maybe light on the onions. We don't know. Um, okay, another question. Should I take... It would help to keep people away from you though, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, okay, what about NAC? Should it be taken only at the onset of cold or flu symptoms or should you take it even when you're sick? Well, I've used NAC in a lot of different settings and NAC is a good preventive agent. If the flu is going around your town, uh, you wanna get on it before you get it. But I've also used it uh, when the infection, after it's already started. And I've had a lot of patients talk about um, the significant uh, improvement that occurred. Uh, one was just in the last month who just couldn't get over. It was cold after cold. And she heard what I said, uh, on uh, the Doug Batchelor video, and she went and got knack, and she said the next day her cold symptoms were gone. <laughs> it was that quick with the glutathione increase, and uh, she hasn't been sick since, and so she's been a believer because she says she feels better than she has in about a year. So it's not too late to take knack um, if you wait until then, but I would recommend it even ahead of the, uh, ahead of the symptoms. Okay. Yeah, the, it's such a powerful antioxidant, isn't it? And there's another product I take when I do get sick, and that's a product called Dalimmune. And uh, there are products like it with different names that are freeze-dried probiotic cell walls. It's a very long title. But what that basically does is it stimulates our innate immune system, our toll-like receptors. And so that, along with vitamin D, will actually help to um, suppress a, a viral infection as it attacks. So if you can take a big dose of this within the first few hours of getting sick, you can actually prevent the sickness. I've, I've several times taken it as I'm starting to feel that sudden lethargy that a, a virus will do as you, as you get sick. You've woken up with a perhaps a sore throat or a, um, a bit of a runny nose and suddenly partway through the day, you just suddenly feel, oh, the virus just got me. You take a big dose of that and it's gone within six hours. So what was right. that called again? Dal Immune, D-E-L-L dash Immune. Dal Immune, you heard of this? Mm. No, but what product, what's in it? There's, uh, there's gotta be, that, that's a trade name, I'm sure. Yes, that's a trade name. So it's freeze dried, probiotic cell walls. So okay. the, the probiotic has, um, the, just the cell walls are, they contain receptors or um, uh, they will trigger, sorry, the immune system to boost. So when we first get, be, become sick with a virus, um, our immune system starts to respond. And so it goes up and up and up in our response. And what this, um, what these um, cell wall, the triggers on the cell walls do 
is actually boost that response. So it's an exponential rise in our uh, immune response. And so it's just kicking us, our, our immune system into action much quicker than it would otherwise to overwhelm the virus. Great, interesting. Yeah, good. So um, this is a touchy one from Jalissa Fernandez. She lives in New Jersey, New York City. And she said, a few people I know here have a cough and they are very scared. What is good for a cough? So they want to know. This is one of the frontline, of course, symptoms that we get for COVID. What would you say to help Jalissa out? Well, go ahead, Narita, you're on first. <laughs> okay, so um, I think for coughs, if it's, if it's COVID-19, it, it's, it's going to progress. If it's just a cough that you could um, let's say you, right now it's very frightening to cough because everybody's going to treat you like a leper. Uh, <laughs> it might be that you've got hay fever. It might be that you've got some asthma, um, perhaps some, um, some other environmental thing that's triggering your cough. Then um, to, to, you, want, you would want to drink plenty and make sure that you're well hydrated. Maybe a hot foot bath would be a, a good option um, to reduce um, congestion in the lungs to see if that would help. But uh, if it's COVID-19, you'd want to do full hydrotherapy. You want to do your contrast shower and um, be taking your neck and your zinc, maybe your quercetin. So really hit it hard with whatever you have there at the time. Mm. You want to add anything? No, I, she, I think she did a good job, but I would recommend if you've been exposed to those that might have COVID-19 to be tested uh, because uh, you might want to have some other agents as well. But you certainly, whether you're tested or not, this is the time to boost your immune system and everything that Narita mentioned will help with that boosting of the immunity. And I like the idea of adding the quercetin to the zinc because what we just learned from uh, uh, Dr. Um, Sahul, is that you're going to increase that zinc uptake at the cellular level with quercetin and shut down that replicase. And uh, that, of course, will deactivate the production of this virus. Good. Okay, here's, a, here's one that maybe you can help us with. Um, uh, I have family members who are pregnant. Can they still use a sauna, NAC, and other hot and cold treatments? Uh we do not recommend a sauna in pregnancy. We are careful, even for women who are birthing in water, we are careful about how hot um, your belly can get. Your baby, we don't want to cook Bubby. So um, <laughs> not, not the sauna, sorry. <laughs> not when you're pregnant. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, Narada, since you're an obstetrician and gynecologist, that you might be very busy nine months from now because everybody is holed up uh, in a house and uh, not a lot to do. Yes, we're quite worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that might be worldwide. We might see one of the biggest baby booms in the, in the history of this world. They're saying not only that, but they're saying they're gonna see record number of divorces as well <laughs> because people are together and they get on each other's nerves. We just did a program yesterday was looking at the statistics in China where they had acceleration of divorces in that area and many, 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 many people getting divorced. So either they're going to come together or they're going to come apart. So 
uh, either way, we, we need, you know, you coming know. together would be preferable. And if you're, uh, if you're under house arrest the right way, I watched the video about house arrest that we did about a week ago. Uh, and uh, that will help you to not split apart, but to come together by going through the principles of what we all can be doing right now instead of going outside and working that can actually be healthy for us and healthy for our relationships as well. Okay, Ginger writes in, nature's penicillin. Uh, someone told me take two lemons, a grapefruit, one orange, and three garlics and sip on it all day, and that will get rid of a cough. Would you guys agree with that? Well, I think what we mentioned earlier would work pretty well, but citrus can be helpful because it has vitamin C, and we talked about the benefits of vitamin C earlier. Okay, good. So you can go back and listen to that answer as well, but I don't think that'll hurt you if you're no, sitting on that. Exactly. Um, no, it's it, it's not very tasty. I've I've done it a few times. I'm not convinced that it it works that well, but <laughs> I know that it with the by eating the rind as well as the um, flesh, you get more of the bioflavonoids, which actually improves the bioavailability of the vitamin C. So not a bad thing. Okay, it's going to taste uh, bad, and you're going to want to get better just because of the taste. Uh, <laughs> James is writing in, you mentioned videos on how to do some immune boosting and is one about how to do a sauna at home. What do they cover? Yes, there's one on a sauna and they cover nutrition, exercise, water, sunlight, temperance, air, rest, trust, and many other subjects on how to increase that. They're at tciweimar.com or newstart.com. Newstart.com would be the easiest to remember. And you can find the playlist for coronavirus and there's many immune boosting ideas there and they're free you can download them and please share them with as many people as possible okay so this is from elizabeth dr nero what can a pregnant woman do instead of a sauna something that is good for immunity boosting but safe for pregnant women i would probably recommend um what i described earlier in the show doing a a hot fermentation, you know, the hot towels to the spine and a hot foot bath. Um, that way you'll, you will increase your body temperature um, without causing harm to your baby. Keep your head cool. It's really important because you're, you're running an overdrive a little bit. You don't have as good temperature control during pregnancy. So you want to be keeping the head cool with a cold cloth. You have a a bucket of ice cold water next to you and be dipping a, a cloth and putting that on your forehead around your neck as well to keep your head cool and uh, if you're getting too hot you could even <laughs> pop that over your, your tummy if you like and, and keep your baby a little cooler um, but still be boosting your immune system with a hot fermentation to the spine and a hot foot bath Okay, good advice, good advice. Someone is circling back. Uh, Dr. Sehult was not familiar with colloidal silver. What do you say, Dr. Nedley? Okay, well, uh, colloidal silver uh, is, a, is a toxin to bacteria. It's also been shown to potentially be toxic to viruses. Uh, but it also um, has some adverse effects. And so, uh, uh, you know, to take it once in, a, once in a while or during an infection, I don't think is going to be as, as much of a problem or at the beginning of an infection. But we have better agents out there, uh, I feel, that don't have the risk of the metals. And so I would go for those agents first 
and not reach for colloidal silver is one of my top 10. Okay. Okay. So light on that. Um, uh, the knack part of the Q win for pregnant people. I'm not sure what that means. Um, Oh, uh, because they asked about, um, and I don't know if, uh, if Narita's, um, we, we had talked about it earlier before Narita came on, but since Narita is an OBGYN physician, I think they're wanting to know, uh, what about NAC when you're pregnant? Um, so there is some evidence that, um, sorry, I'm dredging it up here. There is some evidence that, that um, NAC with breastfeeding right at the beginning of um, when, when baby's brand new is not safe um, because it is concentrated in breast milk and baby can get too much of the knack. So, and I'm not sure about, um, th there's actually very little data out there about knack in pregnancy. There's not sufficient. And so what the, if you look it up, it will just say, don't take it in pregnancy because we don't know. Um, in terms of breastfeeding later, I think that once uh, a baby is an infant, I've, I've been suggesting to people that um, they might take 600 a day rather than 600 twice a day until the child is a little bit older uh, before they go up to the 600 twice a day. Uh, that's sort of a compromise because the data is not there. I can't give reassurance either way. Okay. Well, thank you so much for calling in and uh, greet your your husband, Forrest, the pastor, and I hope he's doing well and, and greet everybody down there, uh, you know, some who know us and some who don't. We, we've been there a number of times, but it's good to see you and thank you so much for taking time with us. You are most welcome and uh, you'll stay safe and keep doing the work that you're doing. It's fantastic um, and uh, we all really appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much, Narita, Dr. Narita. Well, all right, that was wonderful to have someone there from uh, from down under with us as well, Dr. Nedley. Yeah, we have some of our Weimar students in New Zealand uh, taking online courses here at the college, mm -hmm. and I know they're uh, uh, they're likely tuned in here as well uh, with everything that's uh, going on related to COVID. Okay, someone's writing in, Donnie, on one of your TCI videos, you mentioned the importance of exercise. What if you can't go outside in your area? What can I do for eight minutes uh, minimum to up to one hour of exercise when I'm stuck inside? Is there a program you recommend? Do you have a PDF of an exercise routine that I can do indoor? Well, eight minutes, um, you want it to be aerobic. You want it to be repetitive um, so you get the you're breathing deeply and the heart rate is going up. Uh, one of the simple things you can do, and it actually helps your bones as well, is those little old fashioned mini trampolines. Uh, you know, if you're, uh, and, and if you do have a balance problem, just hanging on to something like a pole there and jumping on that, that jumping action actually helps the osteoblasts uh, to, and it actually helps the osteoclast not to chew up on the bone. Uh, and it's aerobic and it's something that can get your heart rate up and help you breathing uh, deeply. So just uh, jumping eight minutes on one of those mini trampolines could be simple enough uh, to produce some benefit. Right. Uh, you know, I know uh, 
Another thing I saw my grandfather do was he would just lay on the floor and kick his legs. And he would do that for 20 minutes. And uh, that seemed to work well with him because he had, you know, some compromised vertebrae as well that he didn't want to have a compression on those. Mm -hmm. So I've seen that work. I've seen someone else also have a treadmill at the house. Yes. And the treadmill is, is also something you could do. Um, all right. Another question here. Is there any reason you couldn't take? This is from Karen Savankuham. Is there any reason you couldn't take both Dell Immune and NAC or other things? Could I overdo it? Uh, NAC and Dell Immune, based on their physiology, are not going to interact or be problematic taking, to get, taking them together. And so uh, it makes sense in regards to the probiotic aspect of what Narita was talking about. And if you have them on hand, do both. Okay. Although the Dell Immune, you wouldn't want to do regularly. Hi there. Okay, good. Uh, we had a little special music there just for a minute. Um, yeah, you know, someone is saying here, those of us in Southeast Asia, Moringa is a superfood. Could you please give some study of this and share about it later as it relates to COVID-19? I'm looking it up right now, um, and we certainly will look into it. Um, and uh, thank you for letting us know about it. We may not know about it because it's probably not very available over here at this right. point. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably not going to fly it over here. I mean, there's a picture of it. That's what it looks like, Dr. Melly. So we'll, we'll look into it. Looks like a green vegetable, huh? Yeah, it's um, it's known as drumstick drumstick tree or horseradish tree or bin oil tree, and uh, anyway, so we'll look into it. Um, Jeff Reed, I've heard the smell of pine is good. Oh, wait a minute, we already heard that. Yes, we heard that it was good, and you can go out and smell that. And actually, it has vitamin C. They said in the pine needles, it actually ingests some of it uh, carefully, I suppose. We're not recommending that, but that's what uh, we heard just recently. Anything else about pine needles you want to say? No. Nope. I mean, it's uh, uh, pine oil might potentially have some benefit as well, but uh, not as much studied as some of the other things that we've been talking about and more highly recommending. Yes, great. Well, we could take a few more questions here, but is there anything we need to cover just as we're closing up? Uh, today, any message we need to get out? Well, one of the things I might mention that we haven't, just because we haven't mentioned this aspect of things, is fasting in the immune system. You know, a 24-hour fast can actually boost the immune system incredibly so, and even up to 72 hours. One of the reasons why we get anorexic with viruses, and this is a virus that causes anorexia, most viruses that do that um, it's actually better not to eat. Don't force yourself to eat. If you fast, you'll actually get a more stimulating immune system response um, to that virus. And so, uh, and that's something that could also help your immune system on a regular basis if you're fasting once a week. It's been well known to fast for 24 hours uh, once a week can be very immune enhancing. There's evidence that it helps even with longevity. Um, the ketosis element has some positive effects, um, even in regards to the acid status that we talked about earlier uh, in that oxygen dissociation curve. Mm -hmm. And so um, there are some significant advantages of periodic fasting. It also helps with self-control, uh, and it helps with a number of different things. So um, I know we've been talking about what to ingest, 
uh, not to enjoy. But uh, this is something that uh, can't be uh, harmful. And we used to view this differently in the medical side of things. We used to think, boy, if that person's not eating, they need to eat. Mm-hmm. But now we realize with all of the studies on time-restricted feeding and fasting that it's actually better not to eat when we're not hungry or if we're nauseated, being sick, let's uh, don't panic. Recognize this can be healthy for the body just by giving it your GI tract a good long period of rest. And it can stimulate those immune cells in the GI tract itself. So we're doing that here at Weimar uh, two days a week. We're recommending a, a fast and people, some people are done. They don't have to do it, but if they want to, and then we have a time of prayer during that time. So we're doing that here. We're also decreasing the fat in our food, taking all the sugar out, putting all those antioxidants in that that we've talked about. We want all our people really healthy. Someone's asking, what about tea tree oil or thieves oil? Arthur wants to know, is this helpful? It could have some positive effects, uh, not as well studied as some of the other things that we talked about earlier. Okay. And I heard that hydrotherapy is, this is Diane, I heard that hydrotherapy is contraindicated if you are if you have hyperthyroid. Yes, now hyperthyroidism, normally you're going to know if you have hyperthyroidism uh, because of the tachycardia and the anxiety and the memory effects of that as well. The typical hyperthyroid memory is when you go into a room to get something and you forgot why you were there. You go back to the room you were in, you remember, and you go back to the room again, and you forget again. So when that happens, have your thyroid checked. Could be hyperthyroid, and of course, if you're tachycardic and anxiety and those type of things, um, yes, you're going to be hypermetabolic at that point. And so if you're in a hot tub, for instance, and you're hypermetabolic, uh, that could be too much for the system. And so um, I would agree that uh, hyperthyroidism or Graves' disease, we wouldn't want to do the full, you know, hot baths uh, or the hot sauna. Uh, Mm -hmm. But they could uh, still do the fomentation part of things uh, in the more local effects. Okay. Rick is asking, I want to try a fast. What should I do? A juice fast, a water fast? How do I do that? Water fast is what we're talking about as far as the the greatest stimulation of the immune system. But a juice fast can also stimulate it some if we get all of the amino acids or most of the amino acids out of the diet. And so like a fruit juice fast or, you know, some sort of, um, you know, maybe just a cucumber juice fast or something can actually be immune stimulating as well. You'll get a few calories in that way. But um, where the greatest evidence is, is actually on the water fast itself. Okay, so try that. A um, couple more NAC questions. What's NAC made up of? Are there any cases that show that NAC causes cancer? No human cases. We talked about uh, how there was a study in mice using large amounts that actually helped the mice as far as their lung disease was concerned. These were aged mice who had advanced lung disease, and uh, they were already prone to having lung cancer uh, because of how they aged it and the emphysema and the chronic bronchitis, and it actually seemed to increase that risk of lung cancer in large doses. But there have been a lot of human studies, randomized controlled trials, um, not an issue. 
as far as increased risk of cancer um, you know, or any other disease state uh, for that matter. Um, and uh, it is a natural substance. It's something that is found in nature, as we talked about earlier, and it can be found. Um, the substrate of N-acetylcysteine, which is cysteine, the amino acid, is found in a number of foods. Uh, and uh, lentils is one of the good ones. Oats is actually the grain, and kamut, those are the two grains that are highest in it. Uh, and then uh, split peas, uh, black-eyed peas mm -hmm. are a good source. Garbanzos are mm. another good source. You're sesame making me, making me hungry. Sesame seeds are a good source as well. Yeah. Uh, and so even hummus itself would be a great, uh, a great uh, food to boost your glutathione levels, which is what N-acetylcysteine does, and that's where it's having most of its positive effects is in boosting the immune system. I don't take any supplements currently, says Elena. Um, what would be reasonably for me to start taking if I... Well, you know, that's an individual question that I'd have to have a lot more answers for. Um, in general, um, the New START principles work well just with foods themselves. And so, uh, but there are certain individual cases where we utilize supplements depending upon the, the situation and what the individual might be struggling from, with or what, how old they are or what phase in life they are and how active they are. So uh, that's something that we more personalize and I don't have a one size fits all for all of the, the supplements. The one exception to that might be hydroxycobalamin, which is a vitamin B12 because vitamin B12 is hard to get these days. Uh, it's made by healthy bacteria. And uh, if you don't know your B12 level, 20% of Americans are short in it. And uh, it's something that can help our brain chemistry as well as our immune system, our methylation. And so B12 is one of those safe supplements and the smallest amount you can get just once a week mm -hmm. uh, can do the job. But other than that, not really a one size fits all for everybody. How can we put the coronavirus outbreak in the context of other high profile outbreaks, outbreaks in the last decade like Zika or H1N1? Um, Put it in context as far as you know at this point. Well, that's a good question because uh, these other outbreaks have been serious as well and have caused a number of disease. H1N1 has caused um, deaths in the thousands. Uh, even our own flu uh, this year uh, has caused uh, well over uh, 20,000 deaths in this country. Um, we, feel, we think that coronavirus is going to actually cause more deaths in this country than the flu did this year. Um, and it's certainly more contagious than the flu uh, and probably more deadly, um, although we don't know since we haven't done widespread testing to know if it's definitely more deadly, but certainly probably more uh, deadly and probably more deadly than the H1N1 uh, and probably more deadly than the Zika, but not as deadly as Ebola. Uh, and Ebola actually, um, uh, its mortality rate superseded um, that of SARS-2 or COVID-19. So that's how we would put it in perspective. I guess what is different about this is our response to it. This is the first time in the history that I know of in the world um, Pastor Don, that we have quarantined healthy people mm. before we always quarantine the unhealthy. 
to prevent the but healthy you can't from really getting tell. sick. You can't really tell, though. Yeah, and you know, and it's even true in regards to the flu virus, uh, because the flu virus you can spread it before you get symptoms as well. Uh, but we've still only quarantined people once we know they have the flu. Of course, that's when they're the most infectious. Uh, and a, a coronavirus patient that's most infectious is going to be early on in that course at the time that they're diagnosed. They'll still be spreading that virus rather readily. But because of the, our knowledge that this can be spread ahead of time, uh, this is what has, I think, driven the world to quarantine everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's an experiment um, that seems to have worked as far as flattening the curve. Uh, but would it have worked just as well to quarantine only the sick, which was what Wuhan was really intent on? In fact, we're not quarantining the sick as much as what we would uh, under other situations. You know, we're telling them to self-quarantine, mm -hmm. where in other epidemics, we make sure they're in a medical facility, and we make sure that they're not going out and that sort of thing. But they could be still spreading it to their family members and that sort of thing. So there's more trust involved in our quarantine aspect of things from what we've done before. But those are the few of the differences, and the public health authorities are doing what they feel is best to protect um, uh, you know, the greatest amount of people. Okay, we just have a couple minutes. One more. Uh, what's your advice for wearing a mask? Now, keep in mind, the CDC just said today that it's recommending everyone in America wear a mask. But what's your advice? Should they be worn if traveling or on a plane? Well, here's the best advantage of wearing a mask. It's not from preventing the aerosol spread from somebody else necessarily, although it can do that. But it actually prevents you from touching your own mouth and nose when you're out in public. Because you've got a mask, you can't get to it. And this is the primary spread, is actually from surfaces to our nose and mouth. And just try to not touch your face for an hour. It's been found to be next to impossible, even though that might be the first thought on your mind, you're going to get distracted and diverted and you're going to do that. And so having that mask on can help you when you're out in public, if you happen to come in touch with the corona uh, virus to prevent it from actually touching your nose and your mouth before you've washed your hands. So when you get home, you can take that mask off. Before you take the mask off, wash your hands, take the mask off, and then wash your hands again. And in uh, that if you're washed in all of those areas, you should be fine. But that's gonna be your number one preventive agent. Now it could prevent it if you're in a choir or singing or those sorts of things, because we do know that when you are singing vigorously like the group in in the Seattle, Washington area, a choir got together uh, a few weeks ago, 60 choir members, and nobody was visibly sick, and 45 of them got the coronavirus. They, were all, they weren't doing the six-foot distancing. They were all close to each other. This is before the distancing um, rules came about. And uh, 45 of them got it just from aerosol. So it is possible to get it from the aerosol, but it's not the most common spread. And of course, having masks on in those situations probably would have been life-saving. There's already two people out of those 45 who have died from uh, COVID-19, very sad. And uh, one of the reasons also I feel they were limiting masks and telling people not to do it is there was a shortage of masks. Yeah, they and wanted the hospital so they to were, have them. You know, you would cause more panic attacks when you're telling everyone to use masks and nobody can find them. 
but now that the masks are being mass produced, mm -hmm. uh, we now see this change uh, taking place in the uh, recommendations. Okay, last one, and we'll just make a comment on it, and then we'll close. It's many more questions coming in now, which means that you must be liking this interactive here with Facebook. We're glad you joined us. Tim is saying, I'm glad to be connected with family and friends virtually during this time, but I saw something in one of your videos about my brain needing non-virtual activities for good mental health. What kind of activities could you recommend during these times that would benefit mental health? Well, you know, one thing, we have all these videos that you're watching. We have some new coming out on how to give treatments, how to help your other family members and help others in the, maybe uh, in your community, only if appropriate, of course, with social isolation and different things right now. But there's a lot there, and we're actually planning to do a series of, of uh, things with our New Start program. You might want to join that program. We'll give you enough stuff to do all day if you join that, because you not only have lectures and you not only have to listen to, but then you have to implement that. And I think there's a lot of people out there if you're one of those people out there that says, man, I would love that. I would love for you to listen for a couple hours and then go and do those things to in increase my immune system, my, my immune health, and uh, maybe not get this virus or be able to fight it off or those things. Hey, email us. Send us your email and we'll, we'll put you on the list because we're really uh, ramping up to do something like this in a very few weeks from now or even a few days. So let us know if you're interested in that. Any final word, Dr. Nedley? Well, as far as answering that question, uh, reorganizing your house, you know, doing things with your hands in 3D uh, where you're not just tied to a screen all the time would be a good thing. I know my uh, son and daughter-in-law, they're deep cleaning their house during this time and doing a lot of scrubbing and, and those sorts of things. Uh, that can be helpful as well in, in multiple ways. But I really like the idea of doing the online depression or anxiety recovery program or the online New Start program. And so uh, that would be a great approach while you're hunkered down during this month of April uh, to make these moments count the most as far as enhancing your life after the COVID-19 crisis is over with. Thank you so much. We'll just have a prayer together. Father in heaven, bless those who've been watching now in their particular situations. The questions we've not gotten to, we ask that they'd be able to find answers or be able to connect with them. Thank you for those who have interacted and as we get the word out for what we've heard today, may many people, through the information they have, have a decrease in their stress and an increase in their ability to prevent or to treat or, um, their own situation or those in their family or others where appropriate. So bless each one, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.